0: Welcome to Different Aspects Podcast. This is a podcast featuring the interactions of women and gender diverse folks with the outdoors. I'm your host, Clancy Sillinger, coming to you from Northern BC on the traditional territory of the Simchen. My guest this week is world traveler, permaculturalist, Seek Guide and Outdoor Educator, among many other things, Shams Ben Temasek. Shams and I sat down to talk about having a quote-unquote non-traditional introduction to the outdoors, starting a career as a guide, and she shed some light on how to seek out funded opportunities in the outdoors. All right, so just one more time, can you share your name and your pronouns and just maybe a little bit about what you're up to this season? Um, my name is Shams,
1: um, I use she, her pronouns. This past summer I was working uh, with Arrowbound Bound Canada as a sea kayak guide. And right now I'm living in Whitehorse, Yukon and I work in a makerspace as a youth programming instructor.
0: Do you want to share a little bit about kind of your history and the road that's led you to where you are now?
1: So I grew up in Montreal, really like pretty far from like nature and like the outdoors and things like that. Like as a kid, I thought that like vegetables that like grew in the supermarket because like I saw like the, the rain inside. And I was like, well, we learned that they need rain. So clearly <laughs> this is where they're growing. Um, and um, and so, yeah, so I didn't really know much about nature, but something I was really interested in but, felt, but just felt so far. Um, so this, it was just like a really long road of a lot of different paths to where I am right now. Um, I worked in a, in a bunch of like farms um, using doing work away, which then led me um, to like outdoor guiding through like learning more about nature and spending more time outside.
0: Do you remember like a, a specific moment or event that was kind of a an aha moment for you? Or like a oh, like I wanna I wanna get out into these kind of environments more?
1: Um, let me think about it. Well, I feel like it was more like I didn't even know how to get into nature because it was just like such a foreign concept. It's like, how do you even start? Like it's so foreign, right? And so I feel like my aha moment was really like learning about. Um, like platforms like Woofing and like Workaway where you can like get an internship um, basically uh, where like you're working 25 hours a week in exchange of food and accommodation and you get to like work in a farm and get mentorship into like agriculture and botany and nature um, anywhere in the world so I first did that in Turkey and so that was just like being like taking care of chickens like And that kind of was my aha moment into um, improving my connection with nature.
0: Did you hear about that woofing opportunity when you were in high school? Was it something like you had to actively seek on your own? It was more like, yeah,
1: through Googling and being excited to to turn 18 and be able to do that, (laughs) waiting for my moment.
0: So you went to high school in Montreal, and then you... Got on a plane you went to Turkey and you volunteered on a farm that- yeah pretty much <laughs> oh, wow. yeah clearly you're someone who's really good at, at making your own opportunities when they don't always present themselves to you and so can you tell me a little bit more about the experience of of woofing in Europe and what about that inspired you so
1: the really cool thing about it is that you get to you can do it like really anywhere you want, like or whether you want as a stepping stone to do it like more locally, like close to where you are or you really want to start on the other side of the planet, which is like what what I was interested in. Um, so it was actually I was actually working at a farm in Turkey when COVID started. And so I just stayed there <laughs> for, whatever, for longer. And so, yeah, taking care of chickens and like uh, the couple that like it was a couple and uh, three kids. And they were like, uh, one of them was Mexican, one of them was American. So it was a bilingual environment, which was really nice because I speak Spanish. And, you know, it's always nice to um, speak different languages uh, with people. So I grew up in Montreal, where it's like really common to speak like three languages. Um, So I grew up speaking French, English, um, and my Arabic wasn't really good. And I had... (laughs) hard time learning Arabic, which was like the languages of my parents. Uh, but I really wanted to speak three languages because all my f- immigrant friends have spoken three languages and I had a lot of Colombian friends. So I decided to learn Spanish. Um, so I became fluent in Spanish before I became fluent in Arabic, which I find pretty funny because uh, I just fell in love with that language. Um, so I'm fluent in like French, English, Spanish, and I'm, I'm intermediate in Arabic and Portuguese. And I'm currently learning Mandarin um so yeah I really like learning languages because I find like it's such an amazing way to like connect with people and you really see like their face light up when you speak in in a language of like their heart instead of their brain um and that's something that I that I just find so important also in like guiding like I I really like I really want to be able to like guide and interpret in like different languages and not just in English because like um specifically for work. It's like when learning a new skill for example like sea hacking, which can like be really nerve like nerve-wracking for people who've never done it like if they're also doing it in a the language they also don't feel comfortable like that can be such like a a difficult experience whereas like speaking to them in like Spanish might just make it so much easier and like so much more um, of an enjoyable um, type of, like learning curve for them yeah so I really like Learning languages, and I've spent a lot of time in like different countries, which has, has been like a great way for me to practice those languages.
0: Something that I always found um, when I was studying languages in university was just how we overestimate how much can be translated in between languages. Um, there's only there's only so far we can go to like just Google Translate and imagine we have the whole the whole story. <laughs>
1: There's this quote from um, Nelson Mandela that I really like. I wanna Google it. If you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his own language, that goes to his heart. After staying there for a couple of months, I decided to come back to Canada. But I I wanted to work again in like agriculture. So um, and COVID was still happening. So when I came back to Canada, I, I went to the Northwest Territories because um, the territory was open for essential workers, aka farmers, which I was a farmer, and I worked at a at a farm in the Subarctic Canada, which was like a part of. My country that I had never been to, um, and learning more about like northern agriculture and like livestock production and what that looks like in in the north. Through those experiences, like it's a really cheap way because you don't have you only have to pay for your your transportation, right? Because once you're there, you're working 25 hours a week, but in exchange you get your food, you get your accommodation. Um, you're like with other people, right? So you're learning. Um, you're usually staying longer when you're doing a work away so you're staying longer in a place so you get to like learn a lot more about the culture and like not only the culture of like the specific like farm that you are and like whatever people are in there but also of like the village nearby the culture of the country and the villages next to you um which is like in a a way that's a lot more authentic to me than just like passing through um and staying in hostels um for a couple of days right and and then through that I, i got the opportunity to also learn about agriculture and like um, diverse ways so like Mediterranean like in Turkey but also subarctic and also did um, a permaculture um, a stance like in Costa Rica like so like learning how to take care of like a cow and banana trees and things like that and also in Vancouver Island so different types of climates.
0: That's quite the range indeed from rainforests to subarctic climates and can you talk a little bit about the permaculture process and what actually distinguishes a permaculture farm from a more traditional style?
1: Absolutely. Um, So permaculture farming basically is like you want it to be regenerative agriculture. Um, So you want to take into account the different ecosystems around it. So like not just about like the plants in itself, but also like about the people. An example that I really, really like is herbs. So there's like a, you can do like a herb spiral where like instead of just like planting them in a row, you can plant them in a spiral, taking into account that there's herbs that prefer um, to be in the north because they like climate that's like slightly colder and then in your spiral you can have like different herbs like in the south um, that prefer like having more sun so kind of like instead of just planting in rows like planting with like together
0: you're sort of looking at your garden or your farm as its own ecosystem right rather than trying to have quite so much control
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And then it also includes like, not just like the gardening aspect, but also like, how are you collecting your rainwater? Um, how are you like, you know, what are you, what are you doing with your poop and your pee and like, just like all the different elements in terms of, of like lowering waste and like, how can you use, um, like, um, poop in your garden, just like kind of like putting everything more holistically, just like you said.
0: Was it that experience of, um, participating in an ecosystem like that, cultivating it that led you to, to think, hey, I think I want to spend my time in a tent for days on end guiding.
1: So the first time I ever went camping, I was 18 years old, just because like, I grew up with like like in a with Tunisian parents and like in a different like kind of like culture right like in Tunisia like spending time outside looks like going to the beach and swimming or like playing soccer in in a random field right being outside means something that's quite different than being outside for um like in Canada in general yeah. um where like people in Tunisia people don't go hiking or scuba diving or sea kayaking and all those activities or canoeing that are very like Canadian um in quotation but so well, I like. I always wanted to go camping as a kid, but for my parents, like, it just literally like made no sense. Like, like they would. They always said, like, "Why did we come all the way to Canada for you to have a good education and good opportunities? And just want to be homeless in a forest and sleep on the ground, and get eaten by bears? Like, it doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't make sense at all." <laughs> um, And so as a kid, I wasn't like allowed to do that because they couldn't understand it. And so the first time I actually went camping was when I was 18 years old and doing like a Spanish immersion program in Ecuador. And so I went camping with my friends there and I was like, this is absolutely incredible. (laughs) Like, I can't wait to do more of that. Um, And so... Yeah, so when I came back, I did a, like some like bike packing trips, like which was like my way because I didn't have a car, right? Or I didn't like none of my friends had cars really at the time because you don't need one if you live in the city. So I but I still wanted to go camping and go places. So I got like my cheap bike that I had gotten on Kishishi that was really not like a bike touring bike Um, and I would just go for a couple of days like from one city to the other but by bike and like camping along the way um, to like Montreal to Quebec City or like to Trois-Rivers and just really fell in love with camping and exploring in different ways so my first backpacking trip ever I just watched a bunch of YouTube like I had like a really bad bike like that made a lot of sound and I had no idea how to fix it so I brought it to like this like community um community bike repair place in Montreal and I was like hey guys can you help me fix it I'm going on a trip with it tomorrow so they helped me out a little bit which was really nice and then I watched I had just watched a bunch of like YouTube videos on like gear that was needed, but based on my budget, I only got like some of them. (laughs) And uh and I just went in with a lot of faith and like good vibes and to like start my backpacking trip. And I was not even outside of the Montreal island, right? Like I was still like on the bridge going there when like my bike started to make like really, really weird noises and wasn't going really well. And I was literally still in Montreal. And um there was this really nice guy um that was biking by me and fully stopped and was like, "Hey, you clearly need help. Um, how can I help you?" Um, but I was really embarrassed because I didn't want help and also because, you know, it's in the city. So like when people stop and like talk to you, you're kind of like, please stop." you know, he was like, a, yeah, I was like, I didn't know his intentions. um, and he was speaking in French, so, my way to which is very much y'aller, like my way to make him feel <laughs> uncomfortable was to be like, Sorry, I don't speak French, like, please go away, like, I'm good, it's very kind of you to stop, please leave me to my trouble and have a good day. And so I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, I don't speak French, haha, ha. thank you so much, goodbye. Um, but then he was so sweet, so he started speaking in English to me, and like, clearly, like having struggle speaking in English with me but like really wanting to help me and he was actually really sweet so I was like okay he's he's not a creep like he's actually sweet but now I have to like keep not speaking in French because then that's how I started um and he he ended up being so helpful so kind and like really helping me and he was like hey like you're whatever you're trying to go you're not gonna go there with what this bike is looking like right now and I was like but I really want to go like like, if I leave if I return home now like I'm I'm never gonna do it you know and he was like okay well um you want to go to Quebec City right okay there's a bike shop in a town around a half an hour and a half from here it's on your way there's a really good bike shop I know it let's just go together and I was like sir like you don't have to bike with me for an hour and a half that's too kind and so he ended up biking with me to like this other town and the entire time he was speaking English and I had to like also act as if I didn't know French and I just felt so bad it was such a ridiculous situation and he brought me to the bike shop and I bought like the parts that I needed to continue the trip safely and he returned home and uh it was an adventure and a, a lot of learning for me and I ended up making it to that other city like to Quebec City like without problem and then I took the train back.
0: <laughs> wow that's a great story. Putting your faith in I don't know I guess the universe and uh, the kindness of strangers is such a theme for solo traveling even even an hour from your house and still on Ile de Montréal. <laughs> Did you ever upgrade? Well. I had actually
1: gotten that bike for free on Kishishi. Um <laughs> So I didn't feel too attached to it. Um, and my, my, like my girlfriend at the time was meeting me at that city and we we're going to take the train back. And I met some lovely people I, w- I was couch surfing um, with and they didn't have a bike and she really wanted a bike. So I was like, hey, how about I give you this bike? Um, and so I didn't use that bike on other trips, but it was a really memorable one
0: nice paying it forward that's awesome I'm sure it was perfect for what she was using it for (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly were you staying in campgrounds or did you kind of just go city to city bombing it
1: um I had a bivvy at the time so pretty easy to like just camp anywhere so that's kind of what I did and then when I was in cities um I actually camped in a couple of times in like people's backyard so like people are so kind like I just like showed up to their door and I was like hey like um um, this is where I'm going um like I'm staying here like I'm staying in this town for the night um do you mind if I just stay in your background and in your in your backyard and like set up my tent there and all and like everyone I asked always said yes and yeah sometimes like I would get invited inside the house too and like we would watch like a movie sometimes I would just have like I would just stay in the backyard and like have my own space but like feel like more safe sleeping in like a in a city right like by knowing i'm in a backyard and like the people that live there are like great people
0: were these people you had connected with via like a warm showers bike packing network or couch surfing? Or you just No nope, I just the knocked
1: on the door.
0: <laughs> how did you choose whose door to knock on?
1: Some houses like just look friendly, you know, like depending <laughs> like it's like depending on like how it's painted. Like if it's painted funny colors, you know they're like quirky and nice. And then some people had like signs, right? Of like, for example, a red dress or like signs to show that like they were really kind people. <laughs> and and so that and like that give me like the indication. Obviously, like if they this seems like they have a nice backyard. <laughs> so then I would go ask. And then um And then some other towns, like once I was actually in Quebec City, I wanted to stay there for like a longer time, like for a couple of for a couple of days. And then I used couch surfing, which is, um, you know, a platform where like you email people in advance and then they for free, they let you stay on their couch or on their bed or whether or like in another room, like whatever they have. Um, And yeah, so I, I couch surfed once I was in Quebec City. Yeah. And so that kind of led me to like realizing that I really like that but in, I I no way felt like an outdoor professional or an outdoor instructor like I, I didn't know what I was doing at all <laughs> and I also like didn't know anyone in that world right none of the immigrant kids, kids around me really spend that much time like hiking and camping and doing all that stuff uh so i got really lucky i was working at a botanical garden in bc and one of the person i was working with was an an outdoor facilitator and an outdoor guide and like through talking to her and through her being like you know so much about plants you love spending time outside like you you would totally be a good outdoor guy and like i hadn't really like thought of that as like a possibility and so she was like a great person to like kind of like introduce me to that world and like what are the qualifications needed and like kind of like make it more seem more achievable.
0: So your way into the outdoors and into guiding was truly kind of through plants?
1: Absolutely yeah and through someone like showing me that you didn't have to like necessarily have grown up with that and that like my kind of like my own life experiences were also like, you know, meaningful and good for to become an outdoor guide.
0: Yeah. A base of knowledge is so much more powerful if it has people who have all kinds of different strengths and backgrounds. So you were on Vancouver Island. How did you connect with those opportunities to get more training?
1: Once I knew that outdoor guiding wasn't like as impossible or like kind of like out of the picture as I had thought like once that was introduced to me as a, as a possibility I got really interested into it and I wanted to get more experiences and at that point like I had like the only like really camping I had been on were like small bikepacking trips so I really wanted to get more experiences and so I reached as I, I kind of looked at outdoor education um, organizations that are big and, and this like have like funding. Um, so for example, Knowles, obviously I Rebound um, and kind of like looking at if they offered scholarships for programs. Um, and so I, there was this really awesome uh, rock climbing trip for like nine days in Arizona that Knowles was offering for adults that were specifically um, an affinity BIPOC space. And I was like, that's so perfect. Like I wanna get experience in the outdoors also like in, a, in an affinity space so I reached out to them um and they awarded me a full like a fully funded um scholarship so I just had to pay for my flight to get there and everything else was taken care of. Nose is like a company that's like mostly outdoor education but that's mostly based in the states so like they don't have a chapter in in Canada um so they ha- uh and it's outdoor education too and they offered me already amazing scholarship to like be able to take a a trip with them which was like um, kind of like my beginning to the outdoor world so I'm super super grateful for them for that and the trip that I did in itself was in Arizona in November Um, and it was like a nine-day rock climbing trip where everyone including the instructor were people of color and it was all of us except one person like their first time rock climbing Um, and so we were base camping um, and every day we would go on different areas um, in Cochise Stronghold, so in the south of Arizona, and we would go rock climbing. Um, And yeah, just like amazing learning, amazing time. That was a great way to get experience and to also like network more with like um, people of color that were guides and that were into the outdoors and asking them what their journey had been like and like how to get to like where they were, right? And I knew like uh I, like I'm not American, right? So I couldn't work with NOS, but they, they they were telling me like, oh, our bound is also like this really cool organization that there is in Canada. So that that's something you can look into and like getting involved with and and all. Um and uh yeah, so then I was really interested in like getting involved with our bound. So I reached out to them and but I didn't I still didn't have that much experience. Like I, I had learned a lot from that trip, but you know, it's um very like i don't i didn't have years and years of experiences at that point um so i reached out to our bound regardless um just and really like part of my application like they ask for like a trip log where you have to like write a list of like all the like trips that you had been on which i like mine wasn't that much but just uh, talking about my life experiences in like botany and like interpretation and like traveling and like i had done a bit of scuba diving and things like that that trip talking about like why why i didn't have that much experience and like kind of the limitations um, that people of color often have um culturally um so, like socioeconomically and historically like to have access into the outdoors like for example um like in the united states like until 1964 with, with the civil Rights acts like black people were not allowed into like um federal or state national parks um, so taking into account that like you can't necessarily increase diversity in an in, in a space if you're gonna keep the same exact list of what you're looking for without being able to be flexible and and accept like training people at the same time. Um and, and so in my trip log I talked a little bit about just like diversity in the outdoors and things like that and I got really lucky. Um that my application went into the right person. that had an open mind and was willing to take a chance on me and like provide me training.
0: After they accepted your application, what kind of um, what kind of training were you able to receive through Outward Bound?
1: So it was the pilot year for the training academy, which is how you um, and me have met. Um, so it included a two week classroom training um, on Mount Washington on Vancouver Island with a lot of like uh, knowledge that would be good for other guides in whatever industry and whatever companies. So it's a very broad program where like it's not specifically that you have to become an out-of-bound instructor, which is if you, you want to bring it back to your community and to another space, which is something I really appreciated that it didn't come with small asterisks you're now tied to us, like just really to like give them knowledge through um, a, f- a funding with the government of Canada. And so we had classes on like me- the certification to get mental health first aid, um, uh, indigenous knowledge and like how to, like, how to be sensitive to... Um, working and playing like on indigenous land um dealing like uh- different ways of like uh, teaching in the outdoors and things like that. And then also like skills based Um, for, to lead to a, at our time, because it was the pilot, it was like a one week um, sea kayak and canoe trip. Since then, like it's changed to like two weeks and uh, di- different activities. In Canada, there's like three chapters at the moment. So like in BC, which is like more focused on like ocean canoeing and then in Ontario, which is more focused on like, um, water canoeing, I believe, and then in the Rockies, which is more focused for the second part into um, hiking. My first job with Araban was in Vancouver, specifically in there, and like it was, a, it's an urban um, type of project, So like working with underserved communities. Um, for example, obviously, uh, what do with Nation School or like classrooms in schools that had uh, a big proportion of kids who are youth at risk which was really great because that's something that I was really interested in, in like working as an outdoor guide for underserved communities. So it worked pretty well. and was also a really good introduction to the outdoor guide world because um, it was a different model. So instead of like most of our is like really long trips, that program was actually like one day trip. And then you meet them again two weeks later, that seems cool. And you build up onto that relationship by doing a two day and one night trip.
0: So you would see a student group continuously over kind of the school year and then eventually take them on a...
1: Exactly, yeah. While I was there, it was in the spring, so we we would we did like canoeing um, and it was great to be able to share, um, you know, like my knowledge about the local like forests and trees. Because we spent so much time also in the water, it was a cool learning opportunity for me to like learn a bit more about marine ecosystems too, which was something I hadn't learned like I didn't know that much about. Sharing facts about like what they were um, paddling and camping by. When we think about the outdoors a lot of it is like often focused on like the activity in itself um, and there's often that like bro mentality of like going in as fast as you can or as uh, as like intense as you can um, which doesn't necessarily appeal to like everyone right some people are more interested in like going slower and like learning more about the cedar trees and like versi and like all the plants around them and like other people are more interested in like the wild crafting aspect and like making inks from plants and enjoying their time in the outdoors to making art um with nature I-, I think it's pretty cool like to br- bring in different elements of enjoying time with nature to appeal to different people yeah it's also a program i was really really interested in like getting involved with because it was more like also my experience like growing up like in a city and not really um not spending that much time in the outdoors and like ha- like also building a relationship with instructors and like kind of like seeing them um every two weeks was also a really cool program and because it's a school program then it ended at the end of june and then for july and august uh, i worked with a different chapter if i were bound in uh, Vancouver Island as a sea kayak guide for seven day trips, and even with uh, like my longer sea kayaking trips um, in, in July and August, it was really cool to get the opportunity to participate in like affinity um, groups. So, for example, like one of the trips was like a seven day LGBTQ. I a um trip uh, so which was really which was really cool because like my journey to the outdoors started with an affinity trip like bipoc rock climbing with NOLS. so it felt like a really full circle moment
0: so now now you have a full season of guiding under your belt all with youth
1: yeah the past summer it was all with youth ranging from like 14 to 18
0: after you know taking the steps to get to that point working with that age group in the outdoors isn't always isn't always coming naturally for people necessarily um and as a workspace for you how did that feel
1: it was definitely like a a steep learning curve of like so much to learn but like so rewarding and so like so fun and so much learning yeah and also like the opportunity to like every see like how every group works differently and like the dynamic in every good group is so different which is always super super interesting I really really liked it and I can't wait to like do it again
0: do you want to speak about any highlights on any of your trips this past summer big big moments for you
1: like a big aha uh-huh moment or like big like highlight moment that i can think about was like the last uh guiding trip that i did this season which was the lgbtq trip just because it was like such like a you know me like starting to find like my footing like with like my last trip of the season and like really being happy that it was like an affinity group that was like quite diverse um so it was seven days and it was like out of tofino so exploring fargus island sea kayak the kids got along so well and like they formed like like such good bonds a lot of them were like from the same city it happened so like they were talking about like wanting to meet again and two of them left me like a letter with like a drawing It, it was a really really good trip and kind of like me starting to feel more comfortable into like that position and
0: can I ask um now after growing up with your family and them kind of not really understanding your desire to um to be outside of what they consider to be normal avenues of work or of recreation um what what are their thoughts now on what you're doing for work um
1: they they've grown to accept it but they still have their (laughs) camp
0: i don't know how to make a question that's not too cheesy but like um If you could give, like, is there any advice or any words you'd like to say to people who are starting out in a similar position that you were in? Maybe that um, outdoors curious, but haven't thus far had a lot of access. What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd say look into like scholarships uh, because it's so expensive to like begin with. and there's a lot of scholarships out there uh, to, like, um, take certifications. So, like, I used a couple of scholarships, like, for example, the RBC Future Launch, um, to take some SIC um certifications, uh, or, like, really, like reaching out to like big organizations like national organizations that have like big budgets for um, scholarships and to ask for example like I did with NOLS, um if they have scholarships to take trips because even if they say no at least you're like reminding them that they should have a fund <laughs> to like for people that can't afford it and like I, that's bringing like that that is bringing that in, in their mind. So that's actually something that I forgot to mention. But um, one way that I got into sea kayaking, like I was working at the same time as that I was working with OurBound Vancouver in the urban program, I, was, I had another job as a sea kayaking instructor because it was like more like part time. The uh, OurBound Vancouver and that job, how I started um, was I reached out to Paddle Canada, which is like the national paddling, so kayaking, canoeing, and um, SUP. Organization in Canada, and I reached out to them, and I was like, "Hey, um, I want to become a sea instructor. I want to take like more sea classes. Do you have scholarships available for adults?" Um, and they're like, "Hey, like." so glad you told us we don't have right now but that's giving us the idea that like to bring that up in our, like our next mm-hmm. general meeting and to see like what we can do for that and they reached out to me a couple months later and they're like hey so we talked about it our funds are pretty low because of covid but we really do want to help so um where are you based? We can connect you with like one of like a, our board members that can provide you like mentorship or maybe like a job into their organization. Um, And then through that, you would get like training into SIGACing and things like that. Um, And so um, like for me asking, even if they didn't end up having a scholarship that actually led me to get a job as a SIGAC instructor in Vancouver, where like they provided for free. And like some of the training was for free and some of the training was like 50%. Um, 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 so, yeah, like reach out, send emails, even if you don't feel like you don't have the certification, still ask. Her. And then if, if you don't get it, like ask, her, how can I, well, what certification, so what would you like me to have for next time when I apply, you know?
0: It's that principle. Of, um. Yeah, putting yourself out there and just sending emails into the void can be really scary but um sometimes even if somebody doesn't have an opportunity for you in that moment um something might come up in a month or a year especially in this industry where it's so gig based
1: yeah like you have nothing to lose and only to gain
0: there you go send those emails I want to give a huge thank you this week to everyone who has supported the podcast so far, and to Shams for being my guest this week. Different Aspects is recorded and produced by myself, Clancy Sinlinger, under a blanket in my kitchen. Our cover design is by Michaela Seaton, and you can find her at Alpine Artistry on Instagram. And our theme music is by Sunshine Drive Through. If you are enjoying this podcast and you want to hear more from us, uh, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can also leave us a review, and that really helps. Or why not just tell a friend about us? You know, you could be like that relative who is always sending links and emails that people might read one day. Okay, somebody cut me off. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I hope you get a chance to get outside.